My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. And the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud became more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Elizabeth Appel. So much wisdom there. It's one of my favorite quotes. What does it take to truly blossom in our lives? How can we better embrace our fantasies inside and outside of the bedroom, our whole lives long. We are going to chat about all of this and more today. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin. Today happens to be International Women's Day, which is amazing and so appropriate because I have one of my favorite women in the entire world sitting here in the studio. Heidi Mastro Giovanni is a dedicated animal welfare advocate who lives in Los Angeles with her wonderful musician husband and their three rescued senior dogs who are so lovely. She loves to read, hike, travel, and do a classic spit take whenever something is really funny. Heidi is fluent in German and French, though she doesn't understand why both those languages feel they need more than one definite article. She's a graduate of Wesleyan University. Lala Pettibone's Act Two, Heidi's first published novel, embraces the themes found in all of her work. Y'all are going to love this. It's never too late to begin again, and it must be cocktail hour somewhere. Thank you for being here, Heidi. August, I'm so thrilled and delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations again on your wonderful book. Lala Pettibone is amazing. Tell us just quickly, in a nutshell, what is it about? She, Lala is what I think of as Bridget Jones and Auntie Mame in the form of a 40-something widow who starts over again because she has to. I love it. I love it. And that whole idea of renewal and blossoming and blooming, you know, throughout life and later in life, I know that that is a really personal um, experience for you. And I'm so inspired by it. When would you say you went through your first blooming? That's such a wonderful question. And and I I would have to say that um, the quotation that you read really uh, speaks to me, especially on International Women's Day uh, and every day. I, I I had to my I lost my first husband. My first husband died when I was forty one. Um, and the life that I knew was over. and I, I being in that tight little bud was no longer an option. Um, not that I wasn't blooming then because I was, but I had to I had to change everything. And I would say, that really was a huge change. I've, I feel like a very, very, very different person since then. It's so interesting that you say that because I've only known you mm. since that blooming. Mm. And for everyone listening, we are dear friends as yes. well. Yes, very much so. And there is a, a line or two in your book that I have to share because <laughs> when I read this, I thought, this is Heidi. Um, you were talking uh, 
Lala was talking about the lessons that she learned because she too lost her first husband. And, you know, people often would ask, you know, what were the takeaways? And it says this, my encapsulated version of the lessons would be fucking pay attention while you have the chance. Pay attention every single damn day. Notice and cherish and honor those people and those things for which you are grateful. Don't assume they'll be around forever because you never know. Trust me on this. You never, ever know. I've never met anyone who cherishes people as much as you do. Every person that you meet lights up. And at your book release uh, party that Mike and I had the pleasure of attending recently, I looked around and like the entire neighborhood is there. Like I don't think anyone that you meet isn't touched by your kindness. And it's hard for me to imagine you not being that way. And so I have to ask, is that how you were before? You know, I, I I have to tell you, first of all, uh, you and Mike were so wonderful at the party. You're always so wonderful. And, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about how you and Mike met, because I do feel like I had a hand in that. You totally uh, did. Thank you. But also... Um, you know, I, I was very different before my first husband got sick. Dennis was was a wonderful man. He had cancer, and he died within six months. And uh, I, I think August before, and you read one of the moments from the book that means the most to me, obviously. Um, I was very glib. I don't think I was a mean person, but I think I was a very superficial person. And maybe one is at certain points in one's life, but I think certainly seeing be, being with someone when they pass is an honor and a privilege and it's and it's devastating and uh, i i think that i certainly at that point was forced to stop assuming to stop just paying attention to the surface of things one of the things also that i was thinking about when i was looking forward to talking to you today and when i was thinking about the lessons i used to be so prickly you know, really? I used to like, oh, yes. Oh, God, yes, August. I mean, like, I remember one time a very close friend of mine who is still a very close friend just made an offhand comment to me. And she didn't mean it in any nasty way. And I got so out, bent out of shape. And I remember this. I remember, um, you know, for days just stewing about it. And, and then I, I thought, how am I going to formulate my response? And I finally just called her and said, I need to speak to you. And I told her I was offended. And I look back and I go, what was my damn problem? It was nothing. I wouldn't spend 10 seconds. I wouldn't spend one second on it today. Wow. And I kind of look at that as an example of where my values, where my mm. values are now, where my priorities are. Interesting. Because you do speak your mind, which I love. You still do that. You're very passionate and outspoken. But that kind of bite to it, that's that's different. And I wonder, I'm sure it was somewhat of a progression, perhaps. And, and when you're in the midst of the, the grief and the shock and for things to happen so quickly, did you find yourself evolving at a certain point? Was there sort of an aha epiphany moment? Yes, that's, that's actually an excellent question. It was um, given to me as a gift by the woman who was, there's a place called the Wellness Community, and I think they have a different name now. They were, and this was, Dennis was sick almost 20 years ago, so this was a while ago. They were fabulous. They have support groups for people who are sick, for the people who love them and they're taking care of them. The woman who was running our support group, uh, one of, actually Lola, which is, okay, I'm not, I'm not kidding, this is the first time I realized this. Whoa. It's one letter away from Lala. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm just completely. Oh, epiphany, um, aha moment. And uh, she, she was fabulous, and she had been widowed, and she um, was just wonderful. 
she had an energy that was so positive. And I would say, August, that slow, because we were in a support group for people who were caring for people, and then we all lost our loved ones around the same time. Mm -hmm. So we were in a grief support group. And I remember she once said to me something that I want to say to everyone who's had grief, and I think we all have in various ways. She looked at me, and her she had been widowed 25 years earlier. And she said, I just want you to know I promise you, you will be happy again. If you want me to have it notarized, I will have that statement notarized, but I promise you. And I carried that during my most painful moments, and it saw me through them. And I think, August, also part of the message of that to me is something that, that I really work on, which is to frame things in a positive way mm, and yes. to be positive and to put out positive energy, which I think is a really important thing in the world, especially now. It is. And I was just thinking as you said yeah. that, I know for me personally, it's been more challenging to be optimistic yep. in the context of what's going on politically in, yep. our, in our culture and beyond. Especially result. on International Women's Day. Absolutely. So how are you finding ways to stay positive on, on the dark political days, which we seem to have most every day? It's really hard. It's really this is this I I have been very involved in, in the political body and the political mind. Um I would say probably since the nineteen eighty eight election. Oddly enough, before then I wasn't at all interested in politics. And then the eighty eight election really got me galvanized. Um I, this has been rough, August. I mean, this is especially, and frankly, especially as a woman, you know. And we've we've talked about this. You know, I'm, I I have a milestone birthday this year. I'm going to be sixty in October. Um, I honestly thought that last November, I was going to see a female president of the United States, and and now I'm concerned. And I'd like to live another thirty years, please God willing, in good health. And I'm concerned. I mean, I I you know I have uh, German. My mother was German. Germany's had a, a female leader. India's had a female leader. Pakistan has had a female leader. England has had two. Israel's had one. I'm. I, why? Why? I'm. I, so how I get through it is is through community. And through like-minded people. And frankly, through the strength of my women friends. Yeah. Especially, especially. Male friends are great. My husband's one of the nicest people on earth. Yes. One of the least. Shout out to your husband. Shout out to Tom. Love you. He's amazing. <laughs> and uh, through through female friendships. Beautiful. I love that. There's such power there. Oh, and we need it. We need it. I feel the physiological change. Indeed. <laughs> For sure. Uh, there's some interesting uh, female connections in your book. Yeah. And there's a scenario where Lala is feeling quite jealous of her love interest having a partner. And I wonder, have you had times in your life where you've experienced jealousy and how did you deal with it? That is again an excellent question. I the green-eyed monster. Um, one of one of the things that I find most difficult, because I'm well, I'm half Sicilian, half half German, half Italian. Um, I don't know why I feel like jealousy is a very Italian sort of. I, I, I don't even think it is, but I somehow feel like there's that that southern kind of, you know, uh, I, and of course I'm talking with my hands as I'm speaking to you now, but. Uh, I, I just, I, I, I think with jealousy, it's a really, really, really tough call. And I don't know how to deal with it. And I think the best way to do it is just to step away and to wish that person well. Mm. I love your honesty, first of all, that you were just like, you know what, I don't know. <laughs> I think, because I think that's hard. And I think it's interesting because I've had different views of jealousy mm. throughout my life. And mm. I, I remember, you know, when I, I was very jealous of, of numerous women uh, earlier in my life, mm. in my youth and into my 20s. And 
as I became more secure in myself, I found myself that just kind of diminished. I absolutely agree. With age, I think, comes that yeah. that, that joy, the, the comfort. I, I keep coming back to the phrase, mm-hmm. being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. You know, listen to that phrase, in your own skin as opposed to in someone else's skin. How about (laughs) about just comfortable in your skin? I don't think I necessarily need to add the own. That's actually uh, thanks to my friend Ann Kaplan, who pointed that out to me one time. Ann, you know what I'm talking about. But um, I I think that as we get more and more, more comfortable and happier... There's just no need. There's yeah. there's enough to go around. There is, and there's really no need to compare ourselves exactly. to other people. Exactly. And usually jealousy has more to do with the person who's jealous, right? So Very much. Very much I so. sense that somebody might be jealous um, of, you know, because we all are on both sides of it. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And now I have so much compassion, mm-hmm. you know, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a natural human thing, too, yes, to yes, feel threatened yes. by certain things. And like you said, just kind of step away. That's huge. I also think you. we were talking. We, we had lunch before we came here. It was very good. It was so much fun. And uh, we were talking We were talking about uh, negative reviews and positive reviews. And you mentioned survival. And actually, jealousy, I was just thinking about what you said. Jealousy makes sense when there's literally only three pieces of, of mango in, in the uh, ancient you know prehistoric village. Please note I said mango and not flesh because I'm a vegetarian. And, um, and, and you know, if there's only three, then you're going to be jealous if someone's grabbed three of those. But if there's limitless mango, maybe we can just, as you said, rewire our brains and stop thinking there's not enough to go around. That is so true. Good point. And also, like, the, the procreation and... You know, survival of the species. Indeed. If the, if you have a vulva and there's only one penis around, that's and someone correct. else wants that penis. That's then, correct. Grr. That's going to be a problem. It's a problem. So interesting. And you know, don't get me started, or do get me started. Um, you know, I, I think to I think a lot. I you and I have talked also about this. Um, you know, I always wanted to be the crazy aunt. I, I never wanted children of my own. I really just love the idea. And I hope my nieces and nephews are listening and nodding their heads and going, oh, my God, she's the best aunt ever. Um, but I think if you, you know, when you hearken back to the time, but think about what it takes for a woman to have a baby and what it takes for a man to have a baby. And I'm sorry, whose idea was that? <laughs> it's not like it's 60-40. Yeah. You know, yeah. that just drives me crazy. That's a really good point. It's, it's, it's just it's one just person so, gets an orgasm. Yeah. And another person. And I think it's wonderful. Hopefully gets an orgasm as well. Indeed, but, please. But but, I mean, you know, in terms of the ability to have many, many children, I don't know how many Mick Jagger has now. But, you know, it just anyway, it just seems maybe unfair. that's why we have the gift of multiple orgasms. <laughs> I don't know if it quite makes it's up a for trade. It I, I, it's a trade-off, right? Exactly. 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 <laughs> ask someone who knows. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So interesting. Yeah. So speaking of uh, you know development and growth and sexuality, what did you learn about sex and sexuality um, growing up? Oh gosh, a great question. Um, I, I, I grew up in the seventies. I you know went to college in the seventies, which was a crazy, wild, fabulous time. Um, I. I never felt, I think I benefited a lot from the sexual revolution because I don't ever, I'm trying to remember a time when I felt inhibited and I don't know that I did. Um, I was real. I went to I very, I went to Wesleyan in, in very liberal. I mean, it, there were no restrictions. I remember seeing a friend of mine who, from high school who had gone to a university in the South, not to be general, but it was in the South, and they had restrictions on when 
young men could come into their dorms. And I just was dumbfounded. So no restrictions. I just don't remember any restrictions. So I would say, which again, astonishes me when young women today, and I'm sorry for being general, but when they talk about not being feminists, because I don't remember feeling any restrictions. And I think that's one of the benefits of feminism. Oh, yeah. And hugely huge and and we're, again keep in mind we're fighting battles now that as you know you know that we were fighting 40 damn years uh-huh. ago yeah. again we got to do this yeah so i remember you know going to the health services and getting an iud and there was no issue and there was no question and i really appreciate that and i'm sorry for people who don't have that yeah it's you know. so important. So did you know a lot about sex by the time you started having it? Did you have sex ed in school? I don't think we did. So it was more just self-discovery? and Yes, and perhaps anecdotal <laughs> among, among the girlfriends, yes. Um, I do remember uh, just, you know, desperately wanting to lose my virginity. Really? Oh, God, yes. Because a lot of the um, my friends uh, freshman year had already done that in high school, and I hadn't. Mm. And it just seemed like, oh, please, can't we just get this over with? So did you just start, like, polling people? or? Yeah, we talked about it. I think we talked about it all the time, really? probably. And again, I'm sort of, you know, remembering back. Um, I think we, I mean, you know, we studied really, 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 really hard. School was really difficult. I remember going to my first class and, and you know, get, you get the syllabus. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I hadn't heard that word before. And it was from a Tuesday to a Thursday and it was economics. And I saw the amount of reading I had to do in two days. And I thought, oh, I'm just totally fucked here. I'm never <laughs> going to get through this. But uh, I think other than studying, we just had dates and talked about dates and talked about, you know, and talked about world events, too. We were very serious students. <laughs> but I mean, I think, yeah, you know, we so all you knew. had this goal of losing your virginity. Was that what drove you then, to then do it? Or did that happen kind of organically? Oh, no, I would say it was what drove me to do it. Really? Let's You're keep like, in there's mind. one for me. There, this is going to work. Um, it was the bicentennial year, too. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love no, it. No, it was really something. And I, 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 looking back, though, if this, if, if I were talking to my younger self, I would probably have a very different message than myself gave myself back then, which would be to just take it easy and not worry about it. Not worry about losing you your virginity or you anything like sex, that. And chill. you know what else though also too August and again this is just from my personal experience I would just say you know what get to know somebody. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the 70s were really about about uh, at least for me they were about sleeping with anyone you wanted to at any point. Um I would say get to know people. It's more fun that just way. Just let things happen. And let when things they do. happen. Don't worry about it so much. But, yeah. you know, you're 17 and I'm not 17 now. I mean, I have all the benefit of the experience that I've, I've had between now and then. That experience is so powerful. It's vital. You know, I think it's vital. It is. And I read this study that showed orgasms and sexual pleasure for women tend to increase throughout life, which is goes against completely this myth that our sexuality just sort of fizzles out and dies, right? A terrible myth. And I wonder, you know, I I wonder if that's a way of controlling women. I, I wonder. I mean, I tend to be very suspicious now, especially now about controlling women. But I think that Let's let's say let's say you're feeling less of a sex drive. There are natural ways to deal with that. And, you know, certainly in terms of at a certain age, there's natural lubrication that you can use and your body. I think the older I mean, we and we've talked about this. um, I'm, again, much more comfortable in my skin 
than I ever, ever have been Mm. starting a new decade. And part of that is saying, if there's something that I'm not comfortable with, like needing lubrication, I'm going to deal with that. Yeah. And there's so many options. Without any shame. There's no reason for it. It's life because it's Mm -hmm. life. It is. This is, is, you know, I'm, and there is so much information. There's so many ways to enjoy yourself. And as you often say, to embrace the joy. Yes. And just and there's it's it's to be celebrated. It's the yeah. opposite of shame. It's celebration. And believing in the goodness, because yes. again, I do think there can be an element of control if it's, you know, telling a woman that she's not going to have pleasure exactly. in her life in any exactly. capacity. Exactly. If she believes that, then yeah. why would she experience it? Very much so. I also think it's it's denying us the confidence to trust our inner voices. And I think you're going to agree with me. I have a feeling, even though we may not have specifically spoken about this, I have only gone wrong when I haven't trusted my inner voice. Oh, yeah. Never have I ever gone wrong trusting. And I think women everywhere should should look back and ask themselves that. Trust your instincts. Yeah, I've never heard Always. anybody say, oh, man, why did I have to go and trust my instincts? Why did it? My gut told me that and I did it and now I'm really upset. Yeah, but we you know. do hear. Yeah. I wish I had listened. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If I looking back, the times that I feel that I may have gone off track because I didn't trust something that I was to, or I listened to someone else's ideas of what I was supposed to be doing, which I think is a really, you know, not not the thing that I would advise. I think about my nieces who, you know, my young nieces, one's a teenager, one's in her 20s, you know, a few in their 20s. And I just think, listen to what you want. Yeah. Do what you want. I think that's so powerful. And I think it also plays a huge role in creativity because if we have all these other voices in our heads and, you know, feeling like we, quote, should be this way, yeah. we have to measure up, it's so stifling. Yes. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your creative process and how you let that freely flow. You know, I, we, we, were t- we were talking again, and you're an early writer. You write in the early part I of the do, day. Yes. yes. I am the complete opposite from you. And it took some some, you know, fits and starts and trial and error to to find this out. But my ideal and ideal because it's the most in addition to being the most productive, it's the most fun for me. I will do my stuff during the day. I'll go to the gym, I'll I'll take a hike or whatever, and I'll I'll do some marketing and answer some emails and do all that stuff. But for me, it's sitting on the couch around four or five in the afternoon, got my laptop, got the senior dogs who adore their Auntie August, and uh, I will have Law and Order Special Victims Unit on in a low volume in the background because that to me is like the soundtrack. And I that's when I start writing. And I'll sometimes I'll start at eight at night. We are complete. I mean, we could be like. We are so opposite. We could like share the same writing space. You read my mind. We could have the same office. I literally stop at the time you start. That's it's, hysterical. It's, it's, too, we, it's too perfect. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's knowing yourself, you know, what your magic yes. hour is. Ex- oh, nicely said, what your magic hour is. Absolutely. Yeah. Witching hour in the it. best, in the very, very, the bewitching hour. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So we have a wonderful question from a listener. Oh, fantastic. From the UK. Oh, wow. And uh, a wonderful response from Dr. Megan Fleming, our resident sex and relationship relationship mm. expert. So I would love to play that. And I'd also love to hear what you think. Fabulous. So Andrea wrote this. 
My husband and I have been married for a lifetime, it seems, 18 years. We have a strong relationship and I would say a good and healthy sex life. We make love a couple of times per month and it is always pleasurable. Lately, though, I've been craving kinkier sex. In particularly, uh, in particular, excuse me, I want to try anal sex toys besides my vibrator and maybe a spanking or two. I'm curious if it's common for fantasies to change so and if you have suggestions for broaching these subjects with a man who is quite shy and mm-hmm. reserved about such things. Cheers, Andrea. Thank you, Andrea, for your question and for listening from the UK. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Andrea, first I want to uh, sort of give a shout out and applause to the fact that you've been uh, married almost 18 years and still have a strong relationship and a good and healthy sex life. Um, you already are probably in the top at least 10%. Um, and again, I think we always need role models for fabulous relationships. And the part which I love about your question is, it's like, it's already good. And there's a part of you knows that it could be better. And, you know, the lovely thing in my mind about monogamy is that I see it as kind of we're on a tightrope together. Um, and our relationship is really the net underneath so that we can really explore our boundaries. Um And, you know, it's not so surprising that, you know, as we get more comfortable with our bodies and our sexuality, that we really want to sort of expand our repertoire and sort of step into the novelty. And, you know, sounds like some things that are sort of kinkier are speaking to you. And I can certainly say that since uh, Fifty Shades of Grey sort of hit mainstream, it's also given exposure to kink in a way that I think demystifies and takes out some of the... um, you know, sort of the negative uh, connotations and judgment or sees it as extreme versus it sounds like what you're interested in doing is, you know, trying on some new things, um, maybe new toys, uh, a little anal play that might lead to anal sex, um, you know, maybe sort of a light blindfold and, you know, a spank or two. And so I think, again, often we might refer to that as kink, but that's certainly not on the edge of kink. And so even though your partner and husband is conservative, I think it's really important you, I mean, this is the biggest thing I could say is that you share with him what you love, start with the appreciation, what you love about him, your relationship, your sex life, and that perhaps because of Fifty Shades or listening to Girl Boner or sort of the latest article in Cosmo, like say, you know, all of a sudden you've just noticed sort of having these you know, interesting thoughts or feeling a pull to want to sort of try on and experience some things. And, you know, just open up that conversation by letting him know what's the fantasy for you. And in that fantasy and in um, being spanked or having anal sex, can you share with him how you imagine that that would make you feel? Because I think if he understands and recognizes what a big turn on for you that might be, I think that that goes a long way in towards his own receptivity to trying it on. And as I always say, you know, you have these conversations with the perspective of, you know, red light, yellow light, green light, you know, share the fantasy, what you'd like to try on. Um, The other thing I say is yes, no, not for now. And ask him, you know, what if anything right now, this moment, might he be interested in trying? Not for now. Can we revisit it in, you know, a month, three months, six months? And, you know, no, at least at this moment, you don't ever see it being on sort of the list. Um, I think the most important thing is you recognize that, you know, he might want to take it slow, but, honestly, already 18 years together, you have a lot of time on your hands. And I think the more that you, in a sense, try on, and as I always say, try, try again. And the reason I say that is because the first time we try anything, we all are sort of observing ourselves. We call it spectatoring. And that absolutely blocks our ability to be relaxed, which is the foundation of arousal. So 
whatever you do, recognize it's not the first time or two or three likely to even um, ultimately indicate how much pleasure you might experience because I think we are just holding more tension when we're trying new things. So listen, I think it's fabulous that you're introducing the conversation. It's great that you pace it. Start with sharing um, sort of the idea of it and what about that turns you on and the fantasy and then sort of explore, you know, where is he with that and what is, um, you know, he in the mood to sort of put your toe in the water and, you know, of all the things that you're mentioning, which is the thing that maybe he feels most ready and wanting to try. As always, can't wait to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. That was super insightful, as always. Everyone, check out Dr. Megan's work at greatlifegreatsex.com. I love what she said about the tightrope, that a monogamous couple, the tightrope is the marriage and the relationship is kind of the net underneath. Beautiful. And then I loved share your fantasies in a positive way. I think there's little sexier. Like I think sitting there with your partner and sharing what turns you on Mm in and of itself is amazing. And also, you never know what that might stimulate. What if he starts sharing mm-hmm. something that he wants to do? I've always wanted to tell you this, but I've been shy yeah, about telling you this. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. What a great answer, August. Oh, my gosh. And I had never heard the word spectatoring. Fabulous. Very helpful. Yeah. Because, you know, you're not the then you know you're not alone in saying, oh, I'm, I'm watching myself doing this. It's hard to relax. But now I know, and next time I can relax a little bit more. It's yeah. it's a great answer. Great question, too. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely. Thank you so much, Andrea. I have a feeling a lot of people will relate to this. Very much. So, as always, you know, you guys can send your questions to me or Dr. Megan on our websites. We love hearing from you. Heidi, I'm curious, have your fantasies, whether sexual, life fantasies, have you found them changing throughout the years? That's a great question again, and very much so. Very much so. My focus has really changed. It's it's changed because it's become relaxed. Mm. And I, I think, you know, as I was saying, you know, to my 17-year-old self, I would say, just don't worry about it. It's fine. Breathe. Breathe. Oh. And j- breathe and enjoy. Yeah. And relax. Um, I Yes, August, I would find that my fantasies in every aspect have really become more comfortable, mm. not in any way less exciting, be they personal or professional or sexual or, or whatever they are, there's just a sense of peacefulness that I really didn't have when I was growing up and not when I was young. And that probably changed a lot when my husband, my first husband got sick, because I think there was just a sense of what was, I hate to be cliched, but what was really worth worrying about. Yeah. Like don't sweat the small stuff. Really, it's the truth. It's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. You know, but I I feel much more at ease with all the ideas that I have. That's powerful. It and feels really good. You can feel the excitement more when you are relaxed, which sounds kind of contradictory, but no, actually, I, I agree. I totally. I say that about exercising. Actually, you're you're energized and relaxed. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic combination. It contra- contradictory. It sounds like, but they're not. They really support each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as someone who has found love twice, really wonderful love, what are your suggestions for cultivating a really strong and lasting relationship? I I keep coming back to something that you and I have talked about a lot in terms of our values. Um, I think that values are so important. They're important in a relationship with your partner, your husband, your lover. And your friends. And for me, as as you know, the, the highest value I have is kindness. Mm-hmm. So I, I have 
been very, very lucky to have found two very kind, good men. And I think that remembering kindness is something that I would, would suggest to everyone. And certainly if, you, if you're looking for a lasting relationship, if you can find ways to be kind to each other, I think that gives you – I love the, the image of the net – as you're walking on the tightrope, you know, life is life is challenging. Um, I think you really won't set a wrong foot if you start from a base of kindness. My, I, I want to quote something my husband once said to me, and I don't know if this is helpful. But uh, in August, as you, you know him very well, um, you and your lovely husband uh, know us very well. Uh, I was annoyed with something Tom had done. And it was ridiculous that it was something silly like, oh, the drawers open. You know, I was just in a snit that day. And he said something so profound to me. He said, do you think I did that to be mean? And I thought of because, of course, he he hadn't he'd left it open because he just wasn't thinking of shutting it not to hurt me because I knew that he was always operating from a base of kindness. So that's something that I try to do whenever I relate to him because he deserves that. Mm. So if you find someone who deserves that, if you can both do that, I think it's I really love lovely. That. It's asking yourself, like trying to see it from the other person's perspective, yeah. like active empathy. Because yes. it's one thing to empathize with somebody. It's another thing because I think other factors can stand in the way. We feel stubborn for whatever reason. Yes. yes. And it could be that we were having a bad day yes. or whatever. All maybe we didn't things. maybe maybe you didn't feel heard in other situations that day. And I was like, didn't you hear me? And it's it's got nothing to do with that. It's just got to do with what's going on with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's really profound. Thank you. I like that. I'm, I think this no, I think this is all from our lunch. <laughs> we had quite a quite a, yeah. a, a soul searching lunch. Good sandwiches, really. Really good sandwiches. Stage, yes, yes, really food good sandwiches. Good. Delicious. Yes, and we're both very good at enjoying food. I you know, I love that about us, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I really love that you and I savor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. me too. Me yeah. Too. Another thing I love, I have to say, in your book is Lala is a very funny, real person, and. We don't often see the main character, the the leading woman in this case, or I wish we had more leading women, uh, having these rich, full lives and similar insecurities that you might go through, you know, when you're younger, but with more experience. And and is a sexual being and flirtatious and romantic and all these things. And I think we need more love stories. I do, too. Of people 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. Please, yes. Don't you think? Well, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite writers and directors of the few directors who are women is Nancy Myers. And she brings us, you know, we've seen Diane Keaton, we've seen uh, Meryl Streep doing wonderful comedic turns, comedic turns with heart and soul, you know, because it's very touching in addition to being very funny. But women who are in their 50s and are in their 60s and are in their, you know, let's do more. Let's do women in their 70s. Let's do women in their 80s. You yes. know, it's, it's, there was a wonderful movie, not a comedy, but uh, something called 45 Years. Um, Tom Courtney and Charlotte Rampling after 45 Years of Marriage. Very, very touching. And and Charlotte Rampling is gorgeous at any age. And we're all, you know what? We're all gorgeous at any age. Yeah. We have to see that. If, yes. I'm so passionate about changing the idea of what beauty means. Yes. And I, I really feel that there's this 
overly accepted notion that beauty fades. We hear that so often. And it, people put it in a context of trying to be positive. Beauty fades, but oh, right, right, exactly. but there's right. still cookies. Exactly, exactly. Oh my God. Fades, but I love it. I at love least it. you're still yeah. nice. Yes. And I'm like, no, yes. beauty no. doesn't fade. It changes. Beauty changes. Exactly. Like, look at, we see beauty and aging other yes. everywhere else. Yes. Plants and trees that Absolutely. age. Absolutely. Gorgeous. Ab- Animals absolutely. that age. Gorgeous. The best. Wine the that best. ages. Yes. Gorgeous and delicious. Gorgeous and delicious, yeah. Like, who says that you have to, you know, why can't we see beauty in that? Whose idea is that? And who is... Control again, maybe. Yeah, and I don't know if it's, if it's you know, an attempt to sell. You know, if if, if I... And we, we also, again, it's like, if I buy something that is going to make my skin feel better. I like it because it's going to make my my skin feel better. And that's going to make me look better because I'm going to be feeling better. To me, everything is about energy. Every single thing. You know, you know you've met people and their energy is very negative. You meet people, their energy is very positive. I, I think that I cannot, I just have to echo what you said. Beauty changes. And that's wonderful. Would we want beauty to stay static? Would we want anything to stay static? To me, change implies growth, or it should. should. You know, the idea that change in this case implies decay, I very, very, very profoundly reject. Yeah. It's growth. It's learning. I would not trade what I know now. I wouldn't go back to being 20 for anything on, on this earth. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable. I'm right. much more comfortable now. Yeah, I think when people say that, they're thinking they could bring all the experience and all the learning. And Nuh-uh. All, uh-uh, doesn't Nuh-uh, work like that. doesn't work that way. No, no, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. You wrote such a beautiful blog post for my Beauty of a Woman blog post. <sighs> can we just can we just thank you so much for that wonderful sixth year? Yeah. Wow. You know, August, the way that you encourage and inspire women. And and thinking kind, caring people everywhere, it's it's constant for me. It's a constant source of. In- I, I think you were described as that wonderful older sister. I think of you as my wonderful baby sister. Oh, you know, I'm so touched by that. Thank you, Heidi. And you brought so much to the fest. This was your first year. My, I'm so thrilled to be contributing as a writer, and you shared really insightful thoughts about being comfortable as you are, and I love that you talked about rhinoplasty yeah. because you talked about how it. For you, that was authenticity. And I think there's yeah. an idea that if you change something, yeah. you're not accepting. So yeah. would you speak to that? I would love to. It's it's it's. it's I, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. And I thought about it because of your wonderful uh, blog fest. I, when I was 25, and I had, it, my, my nose was a, a Sicilian nose. It looked great on my dad's face. I mean, I looked, my nose was my dad's nose. And uh, it looked fabulous on his face because, and this is, I think, the important word. It fit his face. It did not fit my face. And I was terribly, terribly, terribly self-conscious about it for as long as I could remember. And the thing that I loved is when I finally just said, you know, I, 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 as I wrote about, I had been going through a rough period in New York, having moved to New York after college. Just personally and professionally, it was a rough, rough time. And I, I think I probably consciously played on my parents' sympathies because they were concerned about me. And I, I said, well, you know, if you got me a nose job, I'd probably feel better. Um, and uh, that worked. And they were concerned. And they did. And what I loved was what the doctor said. We had a plastic surgeon recommended. This is no cookie cutter, as you know. I know you're looking at me. You can see it's not a cookie cutter nose. Your nose looks like your nose. It's my nose. It's been my nose much longer now than the other one. But but the thing he did was when they took the pic, they take a very glaring, bright light. It's black and white. And you look at it and go, oh, my God. But he just took a pencil. He shaded out the bump. He shaded out the turn on the front. And he said, I am. And he said these words, which 
I carry with me all the time. I am correcting a mistake that nature made. Now, let, let me say something. It was a mistake because I felt it was a mistake. If, if, that, if that were my, if I looked, if I had that nose and I felt great in it, it wouldn't be a mistake. He knew I had come to him because it didn't feel right. back to feeling, back to instinct. It didn't feel right. Right. It's one of the best things I've ever done for myself. Mm, I love it. Yeah. And you're so beautiful. Thank and you, darling. Your nose fits your face. Ditto. Perfectly. Thank you. Thank I you. Change a thing. <laughs> I love it. So I know that so many people want to become writers. There's different statistics out there about how yeah. basically the majority of people have a book in them or, or feel we they have, have stories. We have stories to tell. We do. Yeah. We do. What advice would you offer um, a, quote, wannabe writer who hasn't started? I, I am so glad you asked because I, I really feel this is the advice that I would wish, I wish that someone had given me this advice. Right after I got out of college, I first started out being an actress in New York City. As I, you've heard me say, I think, I, no one mentioned to me that you have to have actual acting talent to be an actress, because I was really quite dreadful. But I did have the great joy of being in a sketch comedy group, and that's where I started writing. The thing is, though, August, that I never, I don't know why, and still in hindsight, I don't know why, I never thought I needed to take a writing class. I just started, which I guess is fine, but you know what? Honestly, it wasted some time that I wish I hadn't wasted. Um, although, I don't feel time is wasted. If you have lessons, then there's there's no wasting there. But <clears throat> I I would say to an aspiring, a, start, a beginning writer, because uh, I would say, take classes. Learn as much as you can. Read wonderful books. Read Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott, which is just one of the most amazing books in the world. Read um, Writing from the Inside Out by Dennis Palumbo, which is about the soul of writing take classes, get recommendations, learn as much as you can. And then when you start writing, always elevate mm. and find a group of friends, not friends necessarily, but colleagues, people who are writers who you admire and trust. And when you're done with your first draft and you've made it the best you possibly can, give it to them, get their feedback. Always, always, always improve. Do not send it out until it's the best you can make it. Mm, really great advice. And that's something that I think is an easy mistake to make yes. is to send it out because you're eager. Yes. And you don't know. I mean, when I started writing, I didn't know I wasn't good yet. You know? Mm -hmm. I I mean, good is such a relative strange term. Right. But you know what I mean? I, yeah. You just don't – you're not at a place yet where you can judge whether it's ready. Very well said. Excellent point. That's an excellent point. Learn enough so that you can judge. And you know, another good thing, and I think we've talked about this. We're both voracious readers, which I love about us. When you're reading a book and you're getting an incredible satisfaction out of reading it, pay attention to what it is in there that that is speaking to you, that what what is making this a positive reading experience. And then, as I've often said, do that in your work. I mean, for me, it's relationships and transformation. I need those in stories. But do it in your own voice. Which your book is full of. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so delighted that you said that. That means a lot to me because I saw it for that to be the case. But, it, you know, it's it's your, your writing is in your voice. My writing is in my voice. That's absolutely as it should be. Yeah. There's no one like you. Or like you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's and I say that to every writer. Yeah. There's nobody like you. Be you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Never try to, you know, when people say, I want to be the next so-and-so, be the first, I mean, you already <gasps> are the first you, but be the first you. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Don't try to be a knockoff. Like, oh, I love that. Be the first you. You know the knockoffs are. They yeah. never look quite fit, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really true. Like, for me, stories have to be psychological. Absolutely. It doesn't matter the genre. Absolutely. For me, if I'm, same thing with a TV show. I can't even pay attention to something that's not psychological. Mm -hmm. Your brain's just like, boo. Yeah. Uh, so knowing yourself, and you do, you learn so much by what, you know, there are certain, and I'm fascinated by the fact that a certain book. Yes. 
somebody will just like I read this book called um, Brain on Fire. Mm. <gasps> so amazing! It's a true story. Uh, the author's name just fell out of my brain, but it is thrilling and psychological, inspiring, all these amazing things, and I couldn't put it down. And I've been recommending it to all these people, and a friend of mine read it, and she was like, "Yeah, it's pretty good." And yeah, I'm like, exactly, no, exactly. it was not pretty good. Exactly. It was like the best book ever. Exactly. But it's it yep. so varies from person to person. There's there's my 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 thought is when we my favorite contemporary novel is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. I love that. I, I envy people who haven't read it because they have the experience of reading it. And I have friends who agree with me. And then I've had people, August, who have said to me, God, you like that book? I hated that. So there's just, yeah. it's it's not speaking to them. Yep. And and I think it's important, as you said, you you know you need psychological. And you, of course, in your fabulous novel, which, by the way, let me just point out, in her shadow, and as I've said to you many times, I'm not the audience for that because it's terrifying and it's a great thriller. <laughs> I even told you you're not the audience And you did, that. and you said, skip these pages. <laughs> yep. uh, it couldn't put it down. Mm, Absolutely okay. brilliant and very, very, very psychological. And in your voice, mm, which to you. me is just, that, that that's the success. Mm-hmm. The success is writing that. And, and the experience of it. And then when great things happen, Bonus. wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Which I have to say, it is so wonderful to see great things happen to incredible people. And for you to not only have your first book out, it's traditionally published by a wonderful publisher, which is so challenging to the nicest. I can I can I say a quick hello to them? Please do. Uh, Amberjack Publishing. The as I always say, and this is this is just the truth. So it bears repeating. It's not just that they're great at what they do. They are the nicest people. They are so much fun. They're just joyous and positive and delightful. And I am nuts about them. You attract that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Ditto, so ditto to you, August. Ditto to you. Well, you know, when we met, yeah. there's just this energy. And, yeah. and we wouldn't have met if yeah. I had stayed in a relationship with somebody who I did not have a good energy with. And mm-hmm. my instinct said no for a long time. And yep. it's amazing. Sometimes we have to take that leap. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't scared about that leap. I was mm. like, let me leap yesterday. Mm. But in other cases, you know, we leave an opportunity, a career, a, yes. a relationship, whatever it is. The bud. The bud. It's the bud. That yeah. quotation was so yeah. brilliant. You know, and I, I, I hope I'm not I think we, we can say that you left one to find something and then found mm. something brilliant. Oh because, gosh, yeah. you know, your husband is one of the nicest people on he God's is. earth. Yeah. I mean, he's just fabulous. Yeah. I'm very blessed. Yeah. As, as is he. Yeah. And we met, I met you both on the same day. Yes, and yes. And Eunice, your beautiful yes, dog, yes, who was our yes. uh, ring bearer. Yes, at, at uh, I can, can I, can I quickly tell? Please go ahead. So, so uh, we were renting a, a cottage on our property, my husband, Tom, and I. And, um, August had called to see if she could come see it, and she knocked on the back part of the house, which is where Mike, our other tenant, was living. And so, Mike, um, knocked on our back door with August and he was smiling bigger than I've seen many people in my lifetime smile because August, you know, when you get to know August, you know how wonderful she is. She's also gorgeous. That's just one of those things. And he was just smiling, smiling, smiling. And then August came in and at the time we had a very, very, very old beagle named Eunice Petunia. And August basically ignored me and dashed to the couch. No, no, not a no, no, (laughs) quite the opposite. Dashed to the couch to, to, heap affection on Eunice and my first thought was I don't care what her background is she's getting the place she's fabulous and then yes as you said how many years after did you and Mike get married in in the backyard Uh, two 
I think. And Eunice was in her carriage because she had severe arthritis and she was the ring bearer. And it was when I looked down at her that I burst into tears, yeah. Yeah. did the ugly cry, the yeah. whole thing. The gorgeous cry. Stop it. Oh, my gosh. It no. Great day. Great day. It was so much fun and so beautiful to have you both there and the three of you there <laughs> and Eunice with her little reindeer. Yes. Yes. Right before Christmas. Yes. yes. Uh, animals are your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your animal advocacy. Well, I, I think, and we had talked earlier about, about uh, I think you said intellectual empathy versus emotional yeah, empathy. Cognitive. cognitive mm-hmm. Yes, cognitive and emotional. It's just one of those things, August. I mean, it's from since the time I can remember. We got a dog when I was seven, and he died when I was 23. His name was Hector. He was my baby brother. Um, I think that children and animals need us to be kind to them. They It is our duty they need protection. And uh, I feel very, very, you know, they, as we say, speaking for the voiceless, um, I, I think kindness to animals is one of the most important things in the world. I agree. I agree. And thank you for all that you do for them in rescue and your outspoken passion uh, and always standing up for animals. I feel like that is one way to judge a person's character. I do, too. I do, too. I, I once when I was when after Dennis died, um, before I met Tom, uh, a friend said to me, a friend who was a uh, very um, like to debate, and he said something to the effect of, "Well, let me ask you: If would you date someone who wasn't mean to animals, but you know was kind of indifferent?" And I didn't have to think. It's like, well, no, those aren't my values. Yeah, and like you said, your value system is everything. Everything. Yeah, it's all about being authentic. And I yeah. love what you said about writing. The goal, the success is being you, which yeah. is really what life is all about. Yeah. Absolutely. So before I let you go. I don't want to leave. I, I just, know. I want to stay here. We should move in. Yeah, this is well, so much well, fun. Okay, this is a telethon now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would love that. That would be uh, so much fun. I would love to hear mm-hmm. any advice you have for listeners who want to feel more engaged and delighted and optimistic, no matter what their age is, because you have really mastered that. And I know you're passionate about, you know, kind of infusing the world with that. I think I think what you send out is what comes back to you. And I think one way, at least for me, that I've I've focused on the positive is to literally, you know, to focus on the did I misuse literally just now? I hate when I do that. You're my um, favorite grammar. Thank, queen, thank you. Thank you. Way. Thank you. I'm so self righteous about that. It's horrible. But I, I think to focus on those good and kind and positive things and to do more of those, um, the littlest things can make the biggest difference. You know, when you know it, it wouldn't occur to me not to hold the door for someone, but if you're holding the door for someone with a smile, that makes their day better. It just does. And that and that I, I think really, con- and it's consciousness, August. You know, we talked about being uh, aware. We talked about paying attention. To really just be kinder to people and to, to and it, all right, you know, if someone's mean to you, then walk away. Although I have been known to yell at people who speed down our street. I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> like, slow down! But um, to, I would say, to, to if you want to find more positive in your life, and you want more positive in your life, look for it and create it would be the, the best advice I would have. That's beautiful. And I love what you said about, you know, walk away if it's if someone's mean because you have to be kind to yourself first. Yes. So the kindest thing to do and actually the kindest thing to do for that person mm-hmm. is to walk away. Just let to it To not be. teach them that it's okay yeah. to not yeah. feed into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, defend yourself if you need to. Go with yes. your gut. Yes. That's yes. so important. I think defending yourself, as we also talked about, is very, very important. But I've found that the best way for me to defend myself is to not get involved in that energy and to really just go, you know what? Okay. Wish you the best. 
Right. Really but, now, which and you know I curse like a sailor, so wish you the best is going to be followed by a slew of you blah 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 blah. blah. But uh, but get away from it and go to the place that's positive for you. Mm, I love that. Yay! Tell everyone where they can learn more about you and purchase your book. So uh, thank you so much for asking. Um, so I have a website. It's www. Like that's necessary to add that. Like no one knows that. Heidi Master Giovanni dot com. H e i d i m a s t r o g i O V as in Victor A N N I, so that's my website, and of course it's on Amazon. It's at your local bookstore if you look in Indie Bound. It's on uh, Barnes and Noble. It's on uh, Target. It's on um, what's that other big store? Walmart. So it's at Walmart. Yeah, yeah. It's it's at the it's on the website. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It is such a delightful, it's full of these very funny stories. And anyone listening who is, I'm sure, loving hearing your insight, the book is so infused with your spirit. Thank you. So I hope everyone enjoys it. Thank Thank you for being here, Heidi. Thank you so much for having me, August. It's been just a total joy and delight and thrill. If you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave us a simple review while you're there. For extras and a whole lot more, visit my website, augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.